Those are some mighty interesting questions, aren't they? Um, and they're the kind of questions that kind of nag at me too. So we're going to get to those questions. I want to let you know we're not ignoring them, but we're building a foundation, and we will get to the icky, sticky specifics of a lot of those questions starting next week and for the next couple of weeks. But what we've got to do in this second week of Trilogy is build a little bit more of the backstory and get us there so it begins to all fit together. So thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. And thanks for hanging with us as we walk through this together. I don't know about you, but I am always excited when someone close to me has something really good happen to them and I benefit because of it, right? Isn't it, isn't it cool? It doesn't happen near as much in life as we would like. It's like, okay, something great happens to one person, and then as a result, everybody that's close to them or around them, or sometimes just because you're in the room when it happens, it's like, wow, we all benefit. Okay, let me give you a couple examples. It's like, okay, say someone in your family wins the lottery. Mm-hmm. No, not them, because you ain't talking to them. I'm talking about the other person, right? And you're suddenly thinking, oh, I probably need to you know, get on my uncle's good side or call that aunt up or, or whatever. Yeah, you would think if someone in your family wins the lottery, wouldn't you just assume at least vacations are going to get kicked up a notch or two for the next foreseeable lifetime, right? You would think that. Or maybe here's one that applies to you a little bit more. I know that's kind of far-fetched, right? And some of you are just hung up on... Lottery? Okay, no, let's go. All right, let, let's, let's say you're back in elementary school, right? Remember that? Remember that friend who had the overachieving mom? You know, the mom that was trying to outmom all the other moms? They're not just trying to be the best mom for your child. You're trying to be the best mom that everybody else's child doesn't have and make all the other moms go, gee, I wish I was as good as she is. So that kind of thing. You got a kid in your class with that kind of mom, and it's his birthday. Oh, yeah. You know what happens? Everybody gets cupcakes. Here he comes walking in. I'm like, I am so glad you're born, man. This is fantastic. Awesome. Well, see, that's what we're talking about in the second week of this trilogy series. That, that's kind of what we're talking about, except it's just much bigger than that. Just a whole lot bigger in scope. And, and magnitude, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But this is just going to be great. Before we get there, though, I want to do a quick recap of last week. This is what we learned last week. We learned that sin entered the world through Adam, and, and now we all kind of do the same kind of thing that Adam did, and we're all kind of in the same boat. And we summarized it like this, that Adam's fall affects us all. Now we all fall. We all do the same kind of things that Adam did. We're all in the same boat. But thank God that's not all. Thank goodness that sin doesn't have the last laugh that there's more to the story, and we're going to begin to see God's plan for more of the story in the next few minutes. Today, we begin to see how God planned to respond to the mess of sin. And God's plan is all about the unpacking and understanding of three covenants or agreements. A covenant agreement, we don't use the word covenant much, so think of agreement. There's three of them in the scriptures, primarily, and then there's other smaller ones, but these three big ones, the first one is a covenant, an agreement between God and one man, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The second one we'll talk about next week, that God made with one nation, we'll talk about that next week, and then two weeks from now, we'll talk about the covenant, the agreement that God made with the world, 
And that's just going to be a fantastic day together as, as we see how this comes together. Because see, when you understand the ebb and flow and the overall picture and what's going on with these covenants, then you understand the overall picture of the scripture. You understand the kind of the plot line of the Bible. You, it begins to, you know, I'm not saying you don't have any questions because I still have questions, but at least you see, oh, I see what's going on. Oh, it all begins to make a lot more sense. And you begin to see where you fit into the picture. You begin to understand how your story intersects God's story in the story that he's telling through his story. And then at the end, you begin to realize history maybe is his story after all, and we're a part of it. These three covenants begin to help you find your place in that. And so today we begin with covenant number one, a covenant that God made between him and a guy that you may have heard of before. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have. Even if you're not a church-going person, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you, you've heard of at least this name. And, and by the way, that, that's so cool about this series is that even if you're not a church-going person, if you're new to this whole thing, you're not sure if you're a Christian, you're, not, you're just kind of interested, this is a great series for you to be a part of because it's going to help you understand uh, a lot of, you know, how to connect the dots and understand what this is all about. And you know, not that it's going to answer all your questions, but it'll certainly help you get the big picture. But maybe you've heard of a guy named Abraham. God made a covenant agreement with a guy named Abraham. His name uh, began as Abram, and then God added some ham to it. And ham, Abraham, which is interesting because he was Jewish, and Jewish, not supposed to eat ham, which is an oddity. I don't understand that, but you'll never forget it. So that's how you remember stuff. You make little jokes about it like that. So God came to Abraham one day, and this is what he said. I will make you a great nation, Abraham. This is God's promise. This is the covenant God made with Abraham. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. In fact, such a blessing to others that all the families on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. Wow. Now, okay, now hold on. You're like, hmm, that's nice. That's because you and I don't live way back then. We're talking 4,000 years ago, give or take. 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago, the world was a vastly different place than it is today. 4,000 years ago in the ancient world, one of the greatest honors you could ever have is to have a great family. And by great family, I don't necessarily mean quality. <laughs> I just mean quantity. Right? It really was that way. Like, if you had a big family, and especially if you had lots of kids, specifically lots of sons who had lots of kids, and they had lots of kids, then you had great status if you had a large family. And so imagine if you're Abraham, because you and I can hardly get our minds around how big this was to him, and I can I promise you, and we'll see it in a minute, he could hardly get his mind around how big this was. If you're Abraham and God's promise to you, I'm going to make you so great, so great, that your family is going to make the entire earth a better place. In fact, the whole earth will be blessed because of your descendants. Can you imagine how cool that must have been for him? Now, of course, it brings up a very glaring question if you're Abraham, an obvious question. It's just kind of like the elephant in the room kind of question and so finally, one day, he just asked God. And so he said, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings, this whole big family thing, when I don't even have a son? He's about 99 years old. 
And he's never had a son. And by that point, you go, it's just, uh uh-oh, there's a problem here. And so in that sense, he's like, how can I have descendants when I don't have a descendant? And so he's kind of pushing back on God's promise just a little bit. Not that you and I have ever done anything like that, right? Challenge God a little bit and go, well, I don't know about that. Well, if you said that, well, then what about that? And what about this? Yeah. And so as, you know, the story goes, God hears this and he says, hey, Abraham, would you step outside a second? You don't believe me? Look, then the Lord took Abraham outside. <laughs> so I told you. I mean, what was it like when God looks at you and says, okay, step outside a minute. Whew. But he took Abraham outside, or Abram, see his name hadn't changed yet, and said to him, look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. One, two, three, four. That one, yeah, nope, I can't, I can't. Yep, that's how many descendants you will have. Wow. Interesting that God didn't address the whole son thing. <laughs> he just kind of skipped over that. Yeah, 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 we'll get to that later, but come on, step outside, look up. See, Abraham could hardly get his mind around how big this was. So, as crazy as it sounds, this is how he chose to respond. And Abraham believed the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He took God at his word and was basically like, I don't understand all of it, I don't get all of it, but if you say so, okay. And as a result, the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, if it ended right there, we'd be like, man, that's, that's awesome. Good for Abraham. But see, Abraham was normal, just like me and you. And so along the way, Abraham kind of lost his way from time to time. He would get kind of confused, and he would just you know, have these human, fleshly, limited, sinful moments. And he would do things that kind of mess things up a little bit here and there for his family and his life. And God would have to come back to him time and time again and remind him of the covenant. Remind him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. Time and time and time again. This is another one of those times when God said this to him. God reiterated the covenant. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee. Evidently, he was in a point where he really needed to know that God meant business. I guarantee to give you countless descendants. In fact, This is the everlasting covenant. This first covenant, covenant number one between God and Abraham, is never going to end, which means it is still in effect. Now, we'll begin to talk about how we know that and how you and I fit into all that a little bit later on, but this just goes to show you that this was much bigger than Abraham. This is much bigger than Abraham could understand. This is so very important because we're going to come back to this. When you're dealing with God, the way God does things, Almost always bigger than you think. Almost always greater than you can understand. And Abraham had no idea, no idea just how big this was. Time passes. God comes to Abraham, who's 99 at this point, and says, okay, now you're going to have a son. You're actually not just having a child, you're going to have a son. So back then, you know, having a boy was more important for family lineage sake than, than having girls. And again, this... 4,000 years ago, society was very primitive and different in in the way people thought. And so to have a child is one thing. To have a son is a whole different thing. And so God says, you're going to have a son. 
Except if you're Abraham, you're thinking, I'm 99. And my wife, she's just as wrinkly. <laughs> you're right. I mean, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they look at each other and go, you say, what? Right? I mean, the doctor, he, I mean, just come back from his physical, the doctor didn't surely say, you know, it's about time he thought about having kids. No, I mean, because when I mean, you're that old, things fall, things move. It's just, it's, it just ain't the same, right? I mean, it's kind of dangerous. But God says, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son, actually, in your old age. And sure enough, that's what happened. Sure enough, they had a son. They named the son Isaac. Isaac began to grow and think, you know, just life began, it's good. And Abraham's thinking, oh, yeah, God is, this is awesome. God's promises are coming true. And this is the first. And then he's going to have children and they're going to have children. And oh, man, this is awesome. Until you love suspense, here's suspense. Until the day when God asked him something very, very difficult. And it seems weird. It seems odd. It almost seems wrong. On the surface, God tested Abraham's faith, which he has a habit of doing that, by the way. See, God will do that. Eventually, God will say, okay, a faith that's never tested is a faith that's never truly realized. So God tested Abraham's faith, and he said this. He said, take your son, your only son, Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Just let that sink in for a second. You're like, what? See, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian and you, maybe you grew up in church and, and this story is a story that you remember and you're somewhat familiar with it, the... The shock and awe of it probably falls silent on you because it's just you already know it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I know that. No, 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 don't let that happen. And if this is new to you, you're sitting there going, what? See, this is, this is why I don't go to church. Like, this is why this God, this God thing doesn't make sense. Who, what kind of God would ask? I'm with you. I'm with you. Everything about this feels wrong. Everything about this seems like, What? Okay, and remember, 4,000 years ago, hang with me just a second. 4,000 years ago, society was much different than it is now. It was primitive and barbaric. Primitive and barbaric. People thought differently. Pretty much the population was uneducated. Most people couldn't read and write. It was just, you just kind of survive. And they thought differently and they lived differently and 4,000 years ago, the world's a different place. And in 4,000 years ago, it was not uncommon for people to make sacrifices, even as unfathomable it is to us today, human sacrifices, in the worship of their deity. Whatever so-called God that they wanted to worship, it wasn't uncommon. It was a normal practice. Now, you and I don't even have a category for that in our brains today, and, good, and for good reason. But that was, a, that was a common thing. So, Abraham's getting to know God. Abraham's just beginning to get to know who God is, and God's introducing himself to this guy named Abraham, and, 
and, and through Abraham to the world. And so when Abraham heard this from God, Abraham was like, well, okay. I mean, God's do. People do that. People do that. So if this God is asking me to do this, okay. Mm. You see, God was getting ready to teach Abraham something. And he wanted Abraham to know that he was unlike any other so-called God on the face of the earth. And that there was no way God was going to let Abraham sacrifice his son. But Abraham didn't know that. Not yet. So Abraham built an altar on this mountain. He laid his son on this altar. And at the moment he began to sacrifice his son... God stepped in, sent an angel to Abraham, and the angel said, don't you lay a hand on that boy. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son, the thing that you love the most, that is the most precious to you, the embodiment of the covenant, the symbol of the promise, not just to you, but to the world you were willing to give that up. Wow. See, Abraham had no idea. He was willing to go through with it. And in a minute, we'll find out why. But immediately, he heard a commotion. And over to the right or to the left, or maybe in front of him or behind him, he saw a ram that was caught in the thicket by his horns. And the angel was like, sacrifice a ram instead. And so he did, and his son was saved. Now, now, listen, I know this brings up other questions. You're like, yeah, but the ram, the poor ram, you know? I mean, if you're like, you know, Peter Friendly, you're going, oh, I'm out of here. I get it, I get it, I get it, okay? And so the whole sacrifice thing, we'll talk about that. We're gonna talk about that. We'll talk about it a little bit next week, and, and in the week follows, we're, there's a good reason, a good explanation for that, but just for now, no, this was a barbaric society. There's a good reason why the sacrifice thing doesn't happen anymore. Aren't we thankful? We'll see why. It's meaningful, it's powerful, it's beautiful, actually. And so for those of you that you're just stripping gears, just hang with us, hang with us. God wasn't going to let him sacrifice his one and only son. But at that point, he saw Abraham's loyalty to him and Abraham's faith. And as a result, he reiterated the covenant through the angel and he said, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore. And through your descendants, all the nation of the earth will be blessed. Wow. Talking about suspense. A little bit of foreshadowing there too, by the way. Just side note. You know what foreshadowing is. Like when you're watching a movie and you see something, you're going, hmm, Right? My wife does that. It drives me nuts. Right? She's always trying to figure out the plot. And I'm just trying to experience it and be in the moment. <laughs> and we'll be watching something and she'll go, uh-oh, uh-oh. Like, what? what? We're going to see that again. Like, Could you just watch the movie? Right? Because <laughs> here's the deal. Listen carefully. There's a little, little sneak peek. Because about 2,000 years after this moment, another father took his son to a mountain. And this time, 
he went through with it. And he gave up his son. That son's name is Jesus. And aren't we all glad? Because he did that for us. He said, well, what does that mean? Okay, great. I'm glad you're asking that question. We'll get there. Just hang with us. So I'm just telling you, this is foreshadowing. This is a huge moment. But this is still, this is an eternal covenant, which means everything we just talked about, the ramifications of it still apply to you and me today. And we'll see this in a couple of weeks even more clearly. But you and I are a part of this through Jesus. You and I are actually connected through Jesus to the family of Abraham. So when God said, Abraham, your family will bless the whole earth because through Abraham's family came Jesus. And then through faith in Jesus, we are blessed in so many ways. So yes, we get to live in the reality that when God told this promise to Abraham, he meant people like me and you. And we're not even Jewish. I don't know, you may be Jewish, but most of us probably are not Jewish. Amazing, huh? Fascinating that you and I are a part of that. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to hit pause. Okay, we're going to hit pause on the, on the covenants. We're going to hit pause on the story. And, and, and I don't want to leave you right there. We're going to pick back up the, the plot line next week. But maybe you're sitting there and you're going, oh, okay, well, that's, that's really interesting, uh, thought-provoking stuff. But I got to get to work tomorrow, and I know what kind of week I'm going to have, and I'm in classes, and I got some big exams coming up, and, and, and my wife won't talk to me, and I don't know where my son is, and I don't know how to pay my bills, and I, I got these issues that I'm dealing with, so what's this got to do with me? Oh, more than you might think. I want to let you know what this teaches us about God. Because see, through this whole thing, Abraham was one of the first people on planet Earth that God was really helping him understand who he was so that he could teach the world who he was. And so this is what Abraham was beginning to learn about God. And what Abraham learned about God, you and I can know about God because God hasn't changed. And so this is some takeaways. This is what we learn about God just by looking at Abraham. Number one, we find out that God, that he's the kind of God that uses the improbable to do the impossible. That's the kind of God God is. It's the kind of God he is. It's kind of what he does. It's how he does it. He uses the improbable to do the impossible. A hundred-year-old man and a 90-something-year-old woman have a son. What? Yeah, uses the improbable to do the impossible. Imagine if you were Isaac in that whole thing. Dad, what are we doing? Dad, what was all that sacrifice thing? You got some explaining to do on the way back down this hill. You know? Wow, I'm a Rams fan for the rest of my life. <laughs> Woo! You know, that's where it started. No, I'm just kidding. I made that part up, but it's funny though, huh? <laughs> There were so many improbable situations there. They're like, how's this going to work? How's this going to turn out? What? And God does the impossible. He still does. He uses improbable circumstances and often improbable people to accomplish what to us seems the impossible. Later on in the scriptures, Jesus reminds us that with God, all things are possible. So maybe, maybe you have that situation going on in your life right now that you're like, this is just impossible. This is impossible. I don't see how this is going to help that. I don't see how that is going to help this at all. Well, you're in a perfect position to experience 
just how God does things. He uses improbable circumstances and people to do the impossible. See, what you're tempted to do is what I'm tempted to do. We, we like to assume and conclude on God. We like to assume and conclude. We assume what's going to happen and we draw conclusions. Well, it's just not going to work. We, we, we look at situations and we assume and then based upon those assumptions, we draw conclusions. You don't ever want to do that on God. Never, never, never. Why? Because he uses improbable things to do impossible things. Remember when God pointed out to Abraham and we read it, this is an everlasting covenant? What was he teaching Abraham? This is bigger than you know, buddy. This is bigger than you can understand. This is way bigger than you. And God still wants us to understand that. That when we're dealing with God, it's always bigger than you know. It's always bigger than you can fathom. God is the kind of God that uses the improbable to do the impossible. Secondly, this is what we learned from Abraham, and, and it's still true today, is that God helps many through one. It's just a principle. Just a principle of how God acts. This is just what God does. He helps many people through one. He helped the whole earth through Abraham. Wow, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Later on, there's no clearer picture than when God used his one and only son, Jesus, to bless the earth and all humanity. He helps the many through one, helps the many through one, and he still does that. Even through people like you. The question is, are you willing to put yourself in a position where God can help many through you being the one? No, not to the scope of Abraham and certainly not to the scope of Jesus, but you can be one person to help many in your family. You ever thought about that? Maybe that God wants to help your whole family through you. Maybe God wants to help the whole floor of your office building, all the people in those cubicles, through you. You ever considered that God has got you living on the street that you're living on because he wants to bless this whole street through you? You ever thought about that? You ought to think about it. Because see, this is what God does. This is how he works. He still, he still works this way. He helps many through one. Through one man, through one woman, even through one child. Nobody's too old, nobody's too young. That's just the way he does things. It's powerful. Will you be, will you let God use you? I mean, be the one. Choose to be the one. Next week, we're going to see how God does great things through one nation. But there's one more thing. One more thing that would take away, and this, is, this may be the biggest thing yet. To understand that God does great things when we trust him enough to do what he says. God does great things when we trust him enough to do what he says. See, a lot of people are all talk. Just all talk. Oh, yeah, I love God. I love God. Oh, yeah, I believe what God says. Oh, yeah, I trust God. I trust God. Preacher, you know me. You know me. I, I love God. I, really? Enough to actually do what God says? Or are you just blowing smoke? Oh, you just all talk then. Because you don't really do it. You just talk a good game. Really? See, Abraham was not that kind of guy. Abraham actually believed God to the point of doing something about it. So, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars and the sky and the sands of the sea. Okay, I believe you. And he started honoring God. Even to the point where God says, I want you to give up your most precious love. The love of your son. The one that you think that the covenant's going to be fulfilled in, that's what you think. But it, I'm going to ask you, are you willing to give him up? As hard as that is, Abraham says, okay. Oh, by the way, by the way, this is so cool. 
when we read this, we're not quite sure yet what Abraham was thinking. However, later on in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews lets us know what Abraham was thinking. He let us know in Hebrews, I think chapter 11, that when Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham literally believed that if he had to go through with it, that God would raise Isaac from the dead. What? I mean, resurrections don't just happen. Oh yeah, like last Thursday? Yeah, that guy on my street? No, that just... That's mind-blowing that Abraham had so much trust in God, he believed that if he had to go through with it and give up his son, that God would find a way to give him back. Amazing. And he believed God just so much. He was willing to do something because of it. So let me ask you the obvious question. Do you believe God enough to do what he says? Because that's what we learn about God. He does great things, not just when people talk a big game, but when they actually live it out. How about in your current relationships? I know, I know you say, I believe God. I believe God wants to save my marriage. Right? That's right, he does. But do you believe it enough to forgive your spouse? Well, I believe God wants to restore that relationship. Yep, yep, he sure does. Do you believe it enough to own your part of it, to do the hard work? Yeah. Or maybe it's a money thing. Like, okay, well, I believe God's going to provide for my needs. Yep, that's a great thing to believe. That's a true thing about God. But do you believe it enough to honor God financially? Or are you just all talk? I believe God will take care of me. Okay, great, fantastic. Do you believe it enough to give and live on less than you make and save and, and try to find ways to honor God financially according to his financial principles he gives us in his word? Or are you just all talk? You see, God does great things, not just when we talk a good game. He does great things when we trust him enough to do what he says. Maybe you have a big decision coming up, a big choice that you need to make in your job or personally or with your health, and you know what you need to do. You really know. You know you got that gut feeling, and you know this is the most God-honoring thing to do. It's not the easiest thing. It's not the quickest thing. It may not be the cheapest thing, but you know this is the right thing, and I need to do that, and, and I trust God. It's going to, okay, do you trust God enough to actually do it? Not just think about it, not just pray about it, not just talk about it to other people and ask everybody else to pray about it, but you're kind of dancing around it, dancing around it. Are you ready to do it? See, that's when God does great things. It's when people trust him enough to do what he says. And how do we know what God says? Well, through his word. Especially through the teachings of his son Jesus in the New Testament. It's so clear to us how God wants us to live our lives and respond to him and treat each other. I'm telling you, that's what we learn from covenant number one. It's, it's a, we're going somewhere. But so far, we learn that God is a God that does improbable things through uses improbable things to do the impossible. And he blesses many people through one. And he'll do great things. When and if we trust him enough to do what he says. I want to take the last couple of minutes and pray for you. And, and I want to invite you to pray with me for yourself and for others. That God would help us internalize these truths about him and how it impacts us. Dear Father, we thank you for this story. It's not just a story, it's just, just real. And stuff happened. And as hard as it is for us to get our minds around this whole sacrifice thing and 
just the bigness of the promise, and yet why you would ask Abraham to do that, and yet we're, we're, we're thrilled, we're so excited that you were never going to let him go through with it, but he didn't know that, and, and we, it's so hard for us to get our mind around all of this all at once, but help us to know that what it teaches us is how you respond and how you interact with us and what you ask of us in return. And help us to understand this is really how you display your love and your grace for the world. You bring us to a point where we know we need you. And I don't know what's going on in people's lives right now. I don't know what they're facing. There are impossible things happening in people's lives right now. Help them to know you will use improbable circumstances and improbable people to accomplish impossible things. May we know that. That's what we're learning through Abraham's story, and it's still true. And help us to know that, that you help many through one. You always have. It's just how you do it. You love. You get a kick out of helping other people and allowing others to benefit through the great things that are accomplished in one person's life. So may we choose to be the one. No, we can't be as great as Abraham and certainly not as great as Jesus, but you can do great things in our family, on our street, where we work. Help us to choose to be the one. And Father, help us to believe you more than just talking a good game. To actually trust you enough to do what you say and then experience the great things in our lives that you want us to experience. The things, maybe not the same scale of what we read about in Abraham's life, because there's only one Abraham, but we would be amazed at what you want to accomplish if we would just allow you to do it. So help me, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.